Have you ever walked past a dumpster and been like, yo, I wonder what's in that dumpster? I can put on these glasses. Let's start eating that trash. You're listening to the True Crime Dumpster Podcast with hosts Amy and Kevin. And that's it. <laughs> See you next week. <laughs> I just meant that we don't have a co-host this week. Oh, a third, a third, okay. Like a I guest thought host. this yeah. was. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but we had a really good time with our friends in Portland, and I'm glad that we got a couple episodes in the can with uh, Mason and Lauren. So thanks for to Mason and Lauren, who probably won't ever listen to any of our other episodes now. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Lauren will. Lauren will. Lauren will. <laughs> All right, so... This is episode number 64, The Mysterious Case of the Yuba County Five. A mysterious case this is. Yeah, so I suggested this one because it was one of those that keeps me up at night. Like, I think about it. Like, I act, it's similar to the Bryce Laspisa one and other just like mysterious deaths and disappearances, like, you know. I thought it was your cell phone that kept you up at night. Well, it's my cell phone that I use to look up mysterious cases. <laughs> uh, okay, that makes sense, actually. Or buy things off of eBay. It's one or the two. Okay. But yeah, so I just want to acknowledge the sources that we use for this episode and a couple of the podcasts that we listen to. I had already inadvertently listened to them, so I listened to them again. And I always like to give credit to the podcast that we listen to because we don't really take too many notes off of the podcast, but we do listen to it just to kind of get a feel for the cases because you're not as big of a true crime podcast person as I am. So yeah, I, I make you listen to a few. It's true. Okay. (laughs) So a couple of the articles that we use, one is called Bizarre as Hell, The Disappearance of the Yuba County Five, and that was from Mental Floss. We also used a Washington Post from 1978 called The Five Boys Who Never Came Back. And then we also went down a little bit of a Reddit Unsolved Mysteries thread about the Yuba County Five. I don't want to give the full title away because it gives away some of the ending, uh, some theories towards the end, but they reference a lot of the Sacramento Bee article that we couldn't access from 1978. And we use a little bit of a film, film daily article, not too, too much. Just also want to acknowledge that we listened to the Generation Y or Gen Y podcast. Thank you guys, as well as Crime Junkies. All of those things, plus I'm sure some Wikipedia and stuff, we definitely kind of wove together and researched and read and reread in order to kind of wrap our minds around a fucking crazy case, right? Yes. (laughs) So tell us about it, Kevin. Well, you need a coat, Ted Weir's grandmother said, watching him go. Oh, Grandma, I won't need a coat. Not tonight. How's that for some creepy foreshadowing? Yeah. So we already said this is a weird one. Five men go to a college basketball game never to be seen again. 
And was this, a, this is 1978, right? 78. Yeah, this one's kind of famous for uh, one of the what the fuck happened kind of cases go. So here we go, Yuba County 5. February 24th, 1978. Ted Weir, is that Weir. how you say it? Yeah, Weir. Weir. Mm-hmm. Jackie Hewitt, Bill Sterling, Jack Madruga, and Gary Matthias went to see their I favorite. Think it's Matthias. Matthias? I think so. He's not like a Swedish guy. Um, he could be, but I had a I Swedish like the... friend named Matthias. Yeah, I, I've heard most people pronounce it Matthias. All right, we'll go with that. So these guys go to see their favorite college basketball team play, UC Davis, and they were playing in Chico, California, which was not far from them. So Ted Weir was 32 years old. He worked as a janitor and as a snack bar clerk for a time before his parents kind of made him quit. They thought the job was a little too much for him. He was a friendly guy, maybe too friendly. He was the type that would get real distraught if he waved at a stranger and the stranger didn't wave back. And And that's an anecdote you just hear everywhere in every single news article and every single podcast. That is always like the detail they give about him that like he really, really cared about other people and his he would sincerely be depressed for hours if he waved at a stranger and they didn't wave back. It's very sweet and sad. Yeah, his family said that he was trusting to a fault and very easy manipulated. And he's also the oldest of the group. He's 32 years old, like you said. So he's the oldest of the quote-unquote boys. He was close friends with William Bill Sterling, and he would call him up and read him sci-fi stories, newspaper articles, and read funny names out of the phone book, if anyone remembers phone books. I know Amy doesn't. No, I do. We use them for, like, kindling for fires. (laughs) So Bill Sterling was 29 years old, and Bill was into spreading the good word. He would tell everyone about Jesus and God and all that at the various institutions he spent time in. Yeah, one of which was, was he the one that, that served time in the mental asylum? No, that was Jack. Oh, that's Jackie. Okay, Jackie, sorry. 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 Jackie. Bill also liked spending hours at the library reading literature. For a while, he was employed as a dishwasher, but his parents were going to quit because people were getting him drunk and stealing money from him and stuff. All around taking advantage of him. Now we have Jack Madruga, and he was 30 from Maryville, California. He graduated high school and was also an Army veteran. Though he was never diagnosed with any mental disability or handicap, he was thought to have been a bit slow. He'd been laid off from his job recently. He was someone that needed structure. He didn't really think for himself too much. Jack owned a car. Yeah, and he was the only one with a driver's license in the group, right? I think maybe someone else in the group might have Gary had one. Gary Mathias may have had. If a, anyone, it would have been him. Yeah, uh, but I believe he was the only one with a car for sure. Yes. And potentially the only one with a driver's license. And... Jack owned a fucking badass car. It was a 69 Mercury Montego. Turquoise and white. And it's not like super badass. No GTO, but it's pretty cool. Hey, GTFO. (laughs) Okay. So, and this car was his like pride and joy. So next we have Jackie Hewitt. And he was 24 years old and the youngest of the group. Also from Marysville. He was pretty slow. 
He couldn't stand up straight, and he walked with his head drooped down. He was the most, how would you say it? Um, disabled of the group. Yeah. He was the one. He actually had a physical disability. Like it seemed like he had issues with walking and stuff as opposed to everybody. Everybody in the group has psychological difficulties. He has psychological and physical difficulties. And yeah, he is the one that spent time in the Napa Insane Asylum, which was later renamed the Napa State Hospital. So Jackie was quite bonded with Ted. And I think it was kind of like. He followed Ted like a shadow or his best friend, whatever you want to, you know, whatever. Yeah. Finally, we have Gary Dale Matthias. He was 25 and he was definitely the odd man out. If you haven't figured it out by now, these dudes are all a bit challenged in various degrees and belong to a local program for the mentally disabled. However, Gary was not mentally disabled. He had been a football player in high school. He experimented with drugs in high school and had to go to a psychiatric ward due to a bad trip and hallucinations. This was when he was a sophomore in high school. Later, Gary joined the army. So a tripper getting trained to kill. It's good. I think that's pretty common people with. Yeah. It's not so much tripping now. I think it's more like psych drugs now. Yeah, I also just think that people maybe potentially with not a lot of direction, especially back in the day, there weren't as many like college counselors and career counselors around. You know what I mean? I think people were just like, oh, you're having issues. You should join the military. It'll straighten you out. Like, you know, the mental health awareness that we have today isn't like what they had back in the 70s. So I'm sure that like he was just I'm sure that the buck was kind of passed with him. And he, you know, he may have also wanted to be in the military, you know. Well, once robots replace all of our jobs, we'll have no choice but be in the military, which will be all robots. So I'm not sure where we fit into this equation. But Okay, keep going. So when he was in the army, he was stationed in West Germany in the 70s. And at that time, he gets diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. And he's discharged from the military. Honorably, I believe. He moved back in with his folks and was in and out of mental hospitals, also jail. Gary was a violent fucker and was forced to take medication to keep him calm. He punched a guard in the face, threatened to stab a chick in the jaw and kill her three-year-old. He, yeah. He was caught groping his cousin's passed out wife. Whoa, I didn't hear all of this. Yeah, this is one of the juicy uh, articles that you made me read. For your for your book report, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, get this one, he broke into the home of a local couple, and the couple woke up to find Matthias, Math- I can't Mathias? say this. Matthias? I'm going to, Matthias. You could say Matthias, but I, th- I have heard it, I think both Gen Y and Crime Junkies both said Matthias. We can go with Gary. Let's go with Gary. Gary, I can say. It's so, another... Is he a bad Gary? He is a bad Gary. He's not a good Gary. Yeah. We'll see. This guy's not a good Gary. He's group he's yeah, groping yeah, yeah, his yeah. cousin. Okay, he's he's not a yeah, good Gary. He's not he's... a good Gary at all. Okay. So he breaks into this home uh, of this couple and they wake up to find him standing in their bedroom. And he told them that he was looking for a ring. He he's supposed to return a ring to Satan. Whoa. And, yeah. 
and that they also owed him rent money because the house was his. <laughs> Whoa! Crazy. That must be from the Mental Floss article. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah. So Gary was also an escape artist. He had a history of breaking out of facilities and walking long distances. After being arrested in Stockton at one point. Ah, Stockton. Beautiful Stockton. <laughs> uh, the Motel 6 there is fucking sweet. I highly recommend. Dogs can stay there. Dogs can stay at all Motel 6s. Without any question. So if you have four dogs, you just don't say anything. You shove them into your hotel room at Motel 6. Not that we've done that every single time we travel. Um, There's a nice little dirt patch to pee on. So after being arrested in Stockton at one point, he was sent to a psychiatric facility. He spent two days there before breaking out through a drainage pipe and walking slash hitchhiking the 80 miles back home. Woo! At one point, he also left his home to go live with his grandmother in northern Oregon. His mother begged him to return home, yet he hung up the phone on her. Well, that's not nice. He showed back up. (laughs) Quite rude. (laughs) He showed up a a few weeks later filthily. Filthily? Filthily. I like that. You did not write. That's not. Filthily. It says fifthly here. Filthily works. He showed up a few weeks later absolutely filthy and claimed that he had walked from Portland stealing milk off of porches and eating dog food to stay alive on the 540 mile trip. Do you do you not believe him or something? Do you believe him? He's I, a crazy person. I I don't think I would put it past him, but at the same time he could it could also just be a tall tale. He we've, could have hitchhiked. We've made that drive quite often and we ate milk and dog that's food. a lot of milk and dog food that's all i'm saying i know i know i know uh 540 we miles wow yeah and then we were driving exactly i wonder how long that would have taken by foot a couple months way more milk <laughs> <laughs> so ted bill jack and jackie so those are the four guys minus Gary. So Gary is kind of the odd one out, right? Yeah, and he's the newest to the group. Yeah, like by a couple years. So the four other guys, T- Ted, Bill, Jack, and Jackie, they had all been friends for years through the Gateway Project. The Gateway Project was the local organization for the mentally disabled that we mentioned earlier. Gary Mathias was a newcomer and befriended these four. And while the other four men were involved with the Gateway Project because of being on the spectrum of mental disability, Matthias was not mentally disabled, but he was psychologically not all there. He was a violent, paranoid schizophrenic with a history of drug abuse. So again, psychologically not all there, but not technically mentally disabled. Not He's not all there, but he's not all there. He's not. Is that not, what you're trying to he's say? He's not not all there. Oh, I love that. <laughs> That's kind of her thing. People love sports. Oh, very nice segue, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, I don't. I mean, I didn't say all people. Okay, some people like sports. Personally, I'm not the biggest fan of crowds or chasing balls. <laughs> this is probably a part for me to read. I think <laughs> probably. Here, you know what? You just you go like ahead and chasing take balls. <laughs> I just don't want to do it activities where balls fly near my face. Well, there goes your social life. Anybody? Anybody? 
Was that um Do you know? Donnie Darko. <laughs> no, it's from Clueless. <laughs> I think you made me watch that once. Yeah, I did. Okay. It's a classic one. I remembered. Yep. People love sports. Personally, I'm not the biggest fan of crowds or chasing balls. I'm more into board sports, skateboarding, snowboarding, now surfing, sunny California. Woo! But anyways, sports brought these five together, and their sport was basketball. They were all members of the Gateway Gators, a basketball team put together by the project. And on February 25th, they were scheduled to play in a week-long tournament sponsored by the Special Olympics. The victors of this tournament would win a free week in Los Angeles, and these dudes were pumped. Some of them laid out their uniforms in preparation for the game a day early. The favorite college team of the boys, and just so you know, that is what the parents of those men called them. So even though the youngest was only, even though the youngest was 24 and the oldest was 32, they were, they're always referred to as quote unquote, the boys. Do you think they referred to themselves Probably. as the boys? Probably. Like, I'm going to go hang out with the boys. I'm sure that, that, that he did, that, that they did. I, I'm not sure. I don't know. Do you know. think they played? I, I'm not, not sure. The boys are back in town in that Mercury. Did that come out in 78 or before? Maybe actually. Okay. I mean, yeah. Thin Lizzie. Yeah. It was like 74, 75. 70-something. Okay. Well, their favorite college team was UC Davis. UC Davis, they were set to play Chico on February 24th, the day before their tournament. And being that Chico was only about 50 miles away, they were stoked. So the way I understand this is that they themselves had a game the day after the UC Davis game, right? So they have... Starting on February 25th, they have a week-long tournament, tournament, basketball tournament. Okay. All these different teams from around. Or like an intramural kind of league. Yeah. Right. So the day before that starts. There's like a they, kind of a celebration game in Chico. Yeah. They go okay. to go see a, a college basketball game. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. And then so they go to Chico. Is that it? Yeah. yeah. They go to Chico. And then they're supposed to come home, and then the next day they they start their tournament. Right. So, Chico is like fifty miles or so from Yuba City in Marysville, and I think those two are they're super like close. right next to each yeah. other. Yeah. So that's where like these guys are living, <clears throat> and these guys all live with their folks and stuff. Uh, and so, the game was supposed to get out I think around ten, and so they're expected back. By no later than like 11. Like 11 or if they maybe like around midnight if they went to get some like food or whatever. Uh-huh. Which gave them enough time to go to sleep and be on time for their league games the next day, right? Right. Okay. And this wasn't like a one-off thing. Like they would go to Chico for, for games I think quite often. Okay. And so this wasn't totally out of the ordinary for them. No. Okay. And these guys are all like. They're all buddies. Well, they're, yeah, they're buddies, but they all live like real scheduled, lives. Like, predictable lives. They're not yeah. like going out and raising hell, you know? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So they went to the game. Jack drove Their the team- boys to many games without incident. Like, again, he has the Montego, right? Yes. Their team, UC Davis, won, and the boys were fucking stoked. They stopped at a market nearby, Bears Market, 
mildly annoying the clerk who was trying to close up. So I believe, was it like 10 o'clock or so at that point? Yes. And and the place closed at 10 and they like rolled up. They were like the people that rolled up at like 9.55. Like you. I, okay, fine. Um, <laughs> and so they came in to buy junk food, like a hostess cherry pie, a Lung- Langendorf lemon pie, Langendorf. Langendorf, you Lang- haven't lived until you've had a Langendorf. Is that the like one that has like the little kind of like Dutch looking guy with like a hat? Like a like it's very like 60s kind of looking on the cover. I really don't know. I just oh. like saying Langendorf. Oh, OK. I think that they're still around. They're like the really typical like fruit pie. I always I hated I hated those things. I always liked them. I know you did. I I only liked the chocolate one. And even then, it was like subpar pudding inside of very unflavored dough. I would rather just eat a package of pudding, a cup of pudding, a pudding pop. They also purchased one Snickers bar, one Marathon bar, and two Pepsis and a quart and a half of milk. Wow. They really got all the food groups covered. Yeah. This mildly annoyed clerk would be the last person to see, quote unquote, the boys alive. Ted Weir's mother woke up early in the morning on the 25th with a sense of dread. Although everything was quiet at that hour like it should be, something was wrong. She checked Ted's room. He wasn't there. She called Bill's mom, who had been up since 2 a.m., worried sick because Bill never came home. Bill's mom had already called back Jack Madruna's mom, and Jack never made it home either. So they're all kind of making this connection super early in the morning that none of the boys came back home. Jackie's mom was also called No Jackie. Finally, Gary Mathias's stepfather was contacted, and Gary had not come home as well. Mrs. Madruna called the police around 8 p.m. that evening. That's kind of a while it's to a wait. It's a little bit uh, late. Well, and I, I again, I think that laws have changed since then. So a lot of times for a missing persons report, they have to be missing for 24 hours. That's true. And these guys were like, They're the youngest was 24. They're full-grown adults. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. so like, I'm sure, I think I even heard it in like one of the podcasts, but they were basically saying that like, even if they had, they, they basically, oh, they're like, hey, you know, our, we have good boys, good men, right? They'll be home. Like, and so they kind of were just waiting around. So when they reported this to the police, the police kind of... Poo-pooed it? Well, they kind of like... I just like saying poo-poo. I know you do. <laughs> they kind of took a back seat kind of and like we're saying, like they're like men. So like they're not going to like... Yeah, men put all their best on men the over the age of 18 are allowed and women are allowed to voluntarily disappear. And that's why it gets tougher to report as people are legal adults because you're allowed to be missing. Yeah. Yeah. Police in Butte and Yuba counties began searching along the route the men took to Chico. They found no sign. Oh, you know what? I was just maybe before I continue on. Do you know? Do you know if if like their mental capacity like took any kind of like it seems like maybe the police kind of took it pretty seriously quicker than they would if they were like a quote unquote normal group of men like out to raise hell or something. You know, I wonder if, you know, the parents were able to like really let them know that they had a bit of a diminished capacity, you know, and maybe that is what prompted the police to actually start looking quicker than maybe they would if 
they were. I think that they put an APP out for that car. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure when, but there were flyers made with, and there was a reward offered for like fairly quickly information and stuff. Yeah, we'll get to it, but there's a there is a bit of a lapse in time. Okay. So police, like I was saying, police in Butte and Yuba counties began searching along the route the men took to Chico. They found no sign of them. But a few days later, a Plumas National Forest ranger told investigators that he had seen the Montego parked along Oroville Quincy Road in the forest on February 25th, which was the day after the game, right? Right. So that was the day their tournament would have been started. started. Yeah, Yeah, okay. At the time, he had not considered it significant since many residents often drive up that road into the Sierra Nevada on winter weekends to go cross-country skiing on the extensive trail system. But after he read the missing persons bulletin, he recognized the car and led the deputies to it on February 28th. So at this point, four days have lapsed. So that brings us to the car. Where the car was found was nowhere near Yuba City, Marysville, or Chico. So any of the potential destinations of the car, it was not in any of those expected places. They're the car- way out of the way. Yeah. The car was abandoned 4,400 feet up a winding dirt road that was snow covered, almost where the road gets closed during the winter months because of the deep snow. Yeah. So they're 4,400 feet up. above sea level. Wow. They're up in the mountains in the Sierra Nevada. And there's mountains. and from what I could tell that the drive from Marysville slash Yuba City to Chico is completely flat. No like, mountains. There's no mountains. There's no reason to go into the mountains, right? Right. They went like the opposite way. They went the opposite way up and up and up past where people go in the winter. Yeah, we'll get to it, but yeah. They're not even on a paved road. Oh, okay. So none of these dudes were dressed for cold weather at all, which you referenced in the beginning, right? Jack, the driver, didn't like the mountains and hated cold weather, according to his parents. I also did hear and or I read that like one of the reasons like he would like his car was so beloved to him. He would never take it off like a paved road like ever because he didn't want to damage his car. He loved that car. So that's pretty crazy. The car was stuck in a snowdrift, and there was evidence they were spinning their wheels. That happened to us recently. <laughs> Sorry about your front lawn. <laughs> but no signs of anyone trying to push the car free. Authorities thought that was a bit strange. The drift wasn't that deep, and five guys, five able, mostly able-bodied guys should have been able to push that car out, but no. Inside the car were the wrappers and containers of the items they purchased at the market, There was also the program from the game they attended. So they most likely attended the game then, right? They went to the game. They definitely went to the the game. game. They went to the store after the game. Okay. So that's all been confirmed. Okay. So police thought maybe the car could have broken down. The keys were gone. So police hotwired the car and it started right up. There was also a quarter tank of gas left. So that's weird. The car gets towed to the station where they examine it further. Despite driving nearly 50 miles on a winding dirt road through the snow in the middle of the night, the undercarriage of the car showed no damage. 50 miles. On an unpaved road? In the, yeah. In the snow and shit. Like, in a Montego with, I'm assuming, no chains. Yeah. If you don't know what a Montego looks like, it it's kind of like, like an old Mustang kind of yeah. looking thing. Yeah. Like, it's not like it's a jacked up 
truck. No. Yeah. And there's five dudes in it. So that's yeah, weighing, weighing that it down. fucking thing down. Yeah. Yeah. No dents, no gouges, not even any mud scrapes. This was a bumpy, shitty dirt road with tons of ruts. And this was a heavy American muscle car with a five men inside, like you were saying. It also had a low hanging muffler, which was undamaged as well. Investigators believe the person driving knew this road very well. I which makes wonder. which makes it seem like it's potentially not Jack driving. And not five guys in the car. Ooh. Ooh. Creepy. Yeah. I ooh, I never thought of that. I actually never thought of that. I thought of it when I was writing that. Ooh, creepy. Knowledge Madruna. Yeah, like like you said, Knowledge Madruna was not known to have the area at all nor would he ever let anyone else drive his baby and so it kind of makes you think that if somebody took it it may have been by force yeah yeah we're already theorizing here a little bit so let's we'll, we'll go back to the story but already your the theories and the mystery are abound for sure to be fair it is a pretty sick whip. <laughs> I did not write that. <laughs> I wrote that, and it is a sick whip. Yeah, we'll post a picture of what a 1970 or 1970s... 69. 69. 1969. Uh, Mercury Montego. Yes. I had a Mercury Cougar for like two seconds. Thanks, Julia. Uh, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah, thanks, hit Julia. <laughs> when the car was found, it was unlocked and had a window rolled down. Jack would never leave his car unsecured like that, his parents said. Yep. So, again, that also adds a bit of mystery as well. Search efforts were thwarted by bad... Ooh, nice work there. Thank you. <laughs> by bad weather or thanks, Wikipedia. I don't... No, that one was That me. was you. Okay, okay. <laughs> Search efforts were thwarted by bad weather for a few days. Even some of the rescuers all almost got lost. Their snow cats nearly getting stuck so the search was called off until the weather improved at this point no trace of the men was found besides the car the media were covering the story and tips started coming in people seeing the boys around california and further around the country but two tips stood out and seemed to be credible so the first one was from joseph sean's I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but I'm going to say Sean's. And he was from Sacramento. And he told police he inadvertently wound up spending the night of February 24th near where the Montego was found. He had driven up there where he had a cabin to check the snowpack in advance of a weekend ski trip with his family. At 5.30 p.m., about 150 feet up the road, he too had gotten stuck in the snow. In the process of trying to free it, he realized he was in the beginning stages of having a heart attack. And so he went back into his car, kept the engine running to provide heat. Could you imagine having a heart attack in the snow while your car is stuck? Oh, his day gets a lot worse. The fact that he's still alive to tell this account is crazy. Or he was still alive at the time. All right, so check it out. Six hours later, Ugh. this is your future soon. What? As far as six hours of labor or something. Oh, like thanks. That. Okay. Amy's about to pop if you didn't know. Ugh. So six hours later, he's lying in the car in severe pain, and he saw headlights coming up from behind him. 
Looking out, he saw a car parked behind him and a group of people around it, one of which seemed to be a woman holding a baby. And I have no idea who this person is. Nobody does. Right. So he calls out to them for help, but they stopped talking and they turned their headlights off and their flashlights. I think they had flashlights too. Uh, Later, he saw more lights from behind him and this time from, yeah, flashlights. He called out again and again the lights went out and no one responded. Oh, that's going to be so infuriating if it's in fact, if it's in fact true. Yeah. Creepy and infuriating because it's like you're desperate for help and you see people and they refuse to like acknowledge you. That's like a, that's like the definition of a nightmare. Yeah. That's the definition of our times. They just pull out a cell phone and start filming you. (laughs) It's like fucking black mirror. So sometime after that, Sean said he saw a pickup truck pull up behind him briefly. A red pickup truck. I, well, he didn't say if it was red, but... Hmm. So this pickup truck so pulls up... So who said up. it was red then? Well, we'll get to that. Okay, okay. I think it might have been the same truck. Uh, okay. Some more foreshadowing. But anyway, so Sean said he sees this pickup truck pull up behind his car briefly, but then they just keep going. But he wasn't quite sure because he was just fucked with pain. Yeah. So... Early in the morning, Sean's car runs out of gas. So he gets out and walks eight miles. Oh, my God. Through the snow to a lodge, having a heart attack. Well, having already had a heart attack, I'm assuming it's probably not still going on. But still, that's fucking crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, he wasn't in quite as much pain. I guess some of that ebbed, but still he fucking... Had to get out and walk eight miles in the snow. snow. So it goes to this lodge and the manager drove Sean home, apparently, and not to a hospital. Hmm. I don't know. So the other credible tip came from a woman who worked at a store in the small hamlet. Hamlet. How do you like that one? It's like a village. (laughs) Yeah. And this was in Brownsville. You know, Brownsville. I know Brownsville, Oregon. Are they talking about Oregon? No, this was California. California. Okay. I think all Brownsvilles are the same. They live up to their name. They're kind of brown. (laughs) (laughs) So this was 30 miles from the spot where the car had been abandoned. And on March 3rd, the woman, she had seen some flyers, the men's pictures and information about the $1,215 reward Hmm. the families to put up. Hmm. 15? I know. It's... It, it, what 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 that shows me is that they were s- scrapping it all together and trying yeah, to put it out. I it's mean, fucking sad. I know it is. It's just a weird number. Yeah. So she told deputies uh, that four of these guys had stopped at the store in a red pickup truck. So that's where the red pickup truck comes. And this huh. was two days after their disappearance. And the store owner wait corroborated her account. This was only two days after, but they're finding out about it on March fifth. Is it happen on March 5th or does are they finding out about it on March 5th? It's probably reporting. I the think tip. she's reporting it on March 3rd. Okay, okay. Oh, or March 3rd. Sorry. Yeah. So it was like two days. So it was probably February 26th when she saw them and she's. 26th putting, or 27th. Yeah. Yeah. And then she's putting in the tip in early March. I think that's okay. what this is trying to say. Yeah. Okay. But she said that she saw them, I guess, two days after their disappearance, which okay. would put it to be around the 26th right so the woman said that she could tell that 
quote. Well, this isn't what she said, but it's kind of these boys ain't from around here kind of things. Mm. Was there a they pregnant lady? Was there a lady with a baby with them? I didn't see anything about because okay. that a would lady be pretty crazy. That would be crazy. But she said that two of the men she identified as Hewitt and Sterling. They were in a phone booth outside while the other two went inside. Police said that she was a, quote, credible witness, and they took her account seriously. And note, this woman reported seeing four people, not five. Do you know which one may have been missing of the five? The only ones that she recognized identified was Hewitt and Sterling. Okay. So that's Jackie, so Jackie and, and Bill. Bill. Yeah. Yeah. An additional detail came from the store owner. He told investigators that men whom he believed to be Ted and Jackie came in and bought burritos, chocolate milk, and soft drinks. And kudos on the chocolate milk burrito combo. <laughs> well done. One of my faves. So Weir's brother told the Los Angeles Times that the owner's description of the two men's behavior seemed consistent with them as Weir would, quote, eat anything he could get his hands on and was often accompanied by Hewitt more than any of the other four. Mm. However, Hewitt's brother said Jack hated using telephones to the point that he would handle calls for his brother. So if he's on the phone, that's probably for a good reason. Yeah. yeah. And who the fuck did he call? Yeah, if he's not calling his parents. Yeah. Jack's brother also said that these guys were pumped for their basketball tournament and driving around in a different car late at night, seemingly oblivious to the big week ahead. I mean, this would already be like a into the third yeah. into the week. Um, was not something that these guys would ever do. They were way too stoked. They were like laying out their clothes for the tournament. You know what I mean? Yeah, and this, they're like telling their parents this, to like would, not let them oversleep so they wouldn't miss it. And exactly. Stuff. This... Like, unless they all caught amnesia, there's, like, no reason for them to be acting like this. Not unless they're, like, forced to or they're un under and, some... And it doesn't seem like, you know, buying chocolate milk and burritos at a store and, like, being on the phone and stuff, it doesn't necessarily seem like they're doing it in under distress. You know what I mean? At least I don't... It doesn't seem like it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, not at all. Hmm. Okay. This red truck and lady with a baby thing is a bit weird. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so months go by and no sign or information about the boys. Mm. So they tried to do some searches and stuff, but the weather's been too bad. Yeah. Like, it's just so like sad. Said, like the longer you, you go, this just the less likely they are to be found alive. It's just sad. Yeah. They tried searching for them and the, the rescuers or search teams were getting lost themselves and, and and just so you know, a lot of people refer to this case as like the American version of the Diet Law of Pass incident. So I know that's been in the news somewhat recently. Like they're the Russian government's trying to like close it, you know, saying, look, it was an avalanche at the end. So if you know anything about the Diet Law incident, this is often referred to as the American version of that because it's just so mysterious. And, you know, the weather played such a huge role in there or potentially played such a huge role in their disappearance slash deaths that, you know, it's just, it just adds to the mystery of it. So like I said earlier, all these guys lived a very scheduled lifestyle. So for them to like be gone even overnight would be a huge deal. 
so very out of character and um they they didn't even they didn't like the outdoors or anything either the only one that did was gary and he would sometimes stay out all night with i guess friends and if what we believe to be true that he is some kind of weird survivalist in a sense that like he could just up and walk nearly 600 miles and you know exist off of the land slash people's porches then he would be capable of being out in the wilderness on his own technically but not necessarily the other guys yeah for sure okay so Months go by, and there's no sign or information about the boys. And it's not until spring, until most of the snow melted, that things take a turn. June 4th, a group of bikers, motorcyclists to be clear, came across a Forest Service cabin while taking a break from their ride. They noticed a pungent stench that actually led them to the cabin and also a broken window. And it totally makes you think of Evil Dead, that cabin in that mm-hmm. movie. I don't know if you've seen that one. If you haven't, I'm talking stop to you. Listening. What? We've watched it together numerous times. So they go into the cabin and they're overwhelmed by the smell. They discovered a decaying body. That's which... so crazy that a group of bikers found them before anybody else. Yeah, they might have been one of the first people just cruising around. And it totally sounds like it was by chance. And we'll get to it, but it's not so much of a cabin. It's more of a trailer, like kind of like a mobile home. To be clear, it's a park ranger station to some extent, right? Yeah. Okay. It's like what the park rangers would would use in maybe like the summertime when more people were there as like a as like a headquarters or like a office or something. You know, it's not quite clear what the actual purpose was because but there, there was, was a lot, lot of food of, in there lots of food and lots of cold weather stuff like in provisions there. yeah yeah so i'm not sure exactly what it was for but they weren't using it obviously in that but that winter at least it was uh vacant okay. when all winter long ish we'll find out so this body turned out to be ted weir so a search party is assembled, and they return to Plumas. They follow the road between the cabin and the site of the monument. Wait, so there was a bad smell in the trailer at the end, or? No, okay, so these bikers find this trailer, find the corpse, you know, tell the police and stuff. A search party is assembled, and they return to Plumas. They follow the road between the cabin and the site of the Montego. The next day, the search party found remains later identified as Madruga and Sterling, on opposite sides of the road, 11 miles from where the car had been. Scavenging animals had partially eaten and scattered the body of Bill Sterling. Autopsies showed that they both had died of hypothermia. One of the final stages of hypothermia is the impulse to go to sleep. I think that's right after you think you're super hot. Yeah. And you take your clothes off and all that. Mm Mm-hmm. Investigators thought that maybe one of the two had the urge to sleep and the other one stayed by his side until they both eventually froze to death. That is so fucking sad. (laughs) Yeah. I can't. Yeah. Two days later, the search team continues and this part is pretty fucking harsh. Oh, is this the dad? Yeah. So Jack Hewitt's father 
was part of the search team, and he found his son's skeletal mm. remains. And he knew it was his son because uh, Jack's shoes and pants were found nearby. Mm. And Hewitt was found two miles northeast of the trailer, and hypothermia was deemed the cause of death. <sighs> yeah. That's so rough. Yeah. It's fucking brutal. So the cabin... Or the trailer, or whatever. Not it, not like Evil Dead at all. But this trailer poses way more questions than answers. So, Weir's body was on a bed with eight sheets wrapped around it, including the head. The autopsy showed that he had died from a combination of starvation and hypothermia. Ted was a sturdy 200-pounder at the UC Davis game, but when investigators found him, he weighed maybe 100 pounds. Hmm. The growth of his beard suggested he had lived as long as 13 weeks from when he had last shaved. His feet were badly frostbitten and almost gangrenous. Found next to him on a bedside table was Ted's wallet with cash inside, a ring with his name engraved on the inside, and a gold necklace that he wore. Also on the table was a gold watch, which was not his. There was also a partially melted Do we candle. know whose watch it was? No. Oh, that's weird. Some people think that it was a ranger station kind of thing and maybe like a It was a ranger's old, that... yeah. Okay. And so Ted also he just had a shirt and some lightweight pants. No shoes. Mm, that's so sad. I have it. What stumped investigators was how Ted Weir came to his fate. No fire had been set in the trailer's fireplace, despite an ample supply of matches and paperback novels to use as kindling. Now, if we look, if I look back at my notes here, Ted was the the janitor and snack bar clerk whose fa- he the family made him quit. So he, of all of the guys, the two most probably able-bodied in a sense that they are both like ex-military and stuff are Gary. Matthias and Jack Madruga, right? So Ted was definitely of the group. He was the oldest, but... And he wasn't insane, like... All these guys are pretty functioning. Yeah. Minus Jackie. Yeah, but at the same time, he definitely doesn't have the survival skills that Jerry or... That Gary or Jack had. I think they said that he lacked common sense. Okay. All right, so despite an ample supply of matches and paperback novels to use as kindling, heavy forestry clothing, which could have kept the man warm, also remained where it had been stored. And was it like readily, like was it like in a cupboard, like an unlocked cupboard kind of a thing? There was a couple sheds. That were just off of the, like outside of the cabin? Yeah, and one of which which had... Some of the the MREs or whatever that they got into. Yeah, and it was enough food to feed all men all winter, basically. Right. From what I understand. And there was a bunch of like blankets and like warm weather clothes or cold weather clothes. But they were untouched. Uh, They were available, but untouched. Yeah. A dozen sea ration cans from a storage shed outside had been opened and their contents consumed. But a locker in the same shed that held an even greater assortment of dehydrated foods enough to keep all men fed for a year, had not been opened. A shed nearby held a butane tank with a valve that, had it been opened, would have fed the trailer's heating system. Yeah, so they had right heat, yeah. 
they had warm weather clothing and they had a whole rationing of food for the whole winter and then some all at their fingertips yet they all died of basically starvation and frostbite yep that's fucking crazy but remember they did say something and i think you mentioned it here as well that like a lot of the the food that could have been consumed the only thing that they had in order to open it was like this kind of complicated army can opener and so there are two people in the group that are ex-military so like but that that isn't the guy who was found in the trailer though right okay We'll, we'll, we'll get there yeah Ted's family thought that Ted not using these things to survive was consistent with what his family members described as a lack of common sense arising from his mental disability. They said he often questioned why he should stop at a stop sign, and one night he needed to be dragged out of bed while his bedroom ceiling was burning in the house fire since he worried about missing his job the next day if he left his bed. It's like when I worked at Sprouts. (laughs) It also seemed that Ted had not been alone in the trailer. This is the part that actually makes it more mysterious. And that Matthias, Gary Matthias, and possibly Jackie Hewitt had been in there with him. Matthias's tennis sneakers were in the trailer and the C rations had been opened with a P38 can opener, which is an army issue can opener. They're tricky. They're like, they're basically like a razor blade on a wheel. That sounds fun. Because I've seen them at Andy and Bax. Yeah. And and they're not easy. It is really. I think think leaving your sneakers in the cabin is... um... A telltale sign you've been there. Yeah, and some people were saying that potentially he may have used somebody else's sneakers because when you're frostbitten, your feet will expand. And so he may have taken somebody else's He took Ted's. Oh, okay. That's why they found him with no shoes. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) This is so fucking weird. Um, which only Matthias or we said, you know, Gary Matthias or Jack Madruga would have been familiar with. So they're the only ones that really would have known how to use this kind of very rudimentary can opener. There's evidence that they were both in the cabin, too. That is creepy as fuck. I mean, so in a all sense, three go to the all three are there. And but, but, and that's just like, why would there just be one body in there then? You know, that's the big mystery is that if there is evidence that three guys have been there, like what the fuck happened? He'd been there for that long. 13 weeks. Oh, yeah, it's... It just makes you wonder, like, what the fuck? You know what I think happened. Uh, well, are we we'll ready, are we ready we'll to get there? Okay. I, it just dawned on me now. Though. Okay. I, it's fucking creepy. <sighs> Gary, his feet probably also had swollen... Okay, you said all this. Sorry. His feet probably did swell from frostbite, which means that he would have taken Ted's shoes because Ted had larger feet than Gary. Yeah, and he had nicer like leather shoes. Yeah, which would have been easier to survive in the snow, right? Before he bailed, as he is the only person out of all of the five that were, was never found. So just, so just so everyone's clear, the four men that were kind of part of the original boy group that all had the, you know, mental disabilities to some degree, right? They're all dead. There is their bodies have been discovered. Yeah. One in the cabin, three out in the woods, right? Right. And the only person not that they have for. not found, yep. even to this day, yep. is Gary Matthias. And he is the one that was the violent schizophrenic 
paranoid guy that walked from Portland, Oregon to the the potential survivalist with military experience and a history of violence. Okay. All right. So if you, you could probably see where we're going with this. The sheets over Ted's body suggested that someone had been there with him as his gangrenous feet would have been in too much pain for him to pull them over his body himself. So there's eight layers of blankets wrapped over him. Like I imagine like his like if you've seen the movie zombie, how they wrap the, the zombies before they come up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just wrapped over his head and everything. Do you do you he couldn't do that himself? Do you think that he was already dead when he was wrapped like that? Or do you think that he was very cold? I don't know. Maybe or, he did do it himself. I don't know. I'm just wondering if the wrapping happened post-mortem or pre-mortem. You know what I mean? I don't know if we can know that. Yeah. Because that would make a big difference, obviously. But I don't know if there's a way to tell that, especially in 1978. I don't know either. Yeah. For months and months, they searched for signs of Matthias, Gary Matthias. Police began to speculate that if Gary had gone off his meds, he may have had a psychotic break that led him to bring his friends there. Police put out alerts for Gary Matthias and searched nearby psychiatric hospitals to see if maybe he had wandered away from the trailer and ended up hospitalized, but they found nothing. To this day, Gary Matthias has never been found. So, WTF. One theory police have is that Gary did have... They found out that Gary had friends in a small town called Forbestown. And... Uh, was that near... I think it was like was kind it of... up the mountain a bit? I think it was kind of on the way. Uh-huh. It is like in between Chico and... Um, Where they ended up? Yuba City. Okay. Oh, uh, okay. But they took a wrong turn. In Oroville. Oh, and ended up going up the mountain instead. Well, if you (laughs) took a wrong turn and all of a sudden you're 4,400 feet above sea level in the mountains and snow, I think you would probably realize it going the wrong way a little bit before then. But, um, yeah. So they thought that they missed this turn and go up this fucking mountain in the night and all that shit. And for whatever reason, the men left the car, uh, and instead of going back down the mountain, they continued going, like walking the way they, up the mountain, the, the way they were going. And investigators say that a purposeful motion like that is not consistent with like a circular pattern traveled by people who are genuinely lost. Oh, okay. So I guess when you're lost, you kind of inadvertently go in a weird circle. And these yeah, guys and were so just this felt more intentional. Straight okay. line, yeah. So the day before the men went missing, a Forest Service snowcat had gone along the road to clear snow off the trailer roof so that it wouldn't collapse. Because uh, there's snow drifts like six feet high. And it was possible, the police believed, that the group had decided to follow the tracks that the snow. Uh, snowcat left and like I said this was through snow drifts that were four to six feet high and wherever uh, they were going to follow these tracks wherever they led in the belief that shelter was not too far away and this ended up being 20 miles they fucking walked 20 miles to get to the to get to, to that fucking station? trailer yeah Jesus Christ if I got my shit straight they walked fucking 20 miles in the middle of the night with no warm clothes 
just chocolate milk and burritos. Hmm. So Madruga and Sterling probably succumbed to hypothermia midway along the walk to the trailer. Hmm. Yeah, because, dude, they didn't have fucking jackets. They didn't even have jackets. Yeah. So it's assumed that once they found the trailer, they broke the window to get in. And since it was locked, they may have believed it was private property and may have feared getting in trouble for theft if they used anything else they found there. Hmm. And after Weird died, they perhaps chose to attempt to return to civilization going different ways on foot. Hmm. It doesn't add up, Jack, no. Jack Madruga's mother says. Quote, there was some force that made them go up there. They wouldn't have fled off in the wood like a bunch of quail. We know good and well that somebody made them do it. We can't visualize someone getting the upper hand on those five men, but we know it must have been. And Ted Weir's sister-in-law said, quote, They seen something at that game, at the parking lot. They might have seen it and didn't even realize they seen it. So it's almost like the family believes it's like some supernatural force or something. I mean, again, I go back to that woman with the baby. You know what I mean? Yeah. If, like it's like she's like some kind of like siren or something, you know? Totally. Or yeah, I know that's fucking creepy, dude. Yeah. That kind of. Yeah. Or they witnessed some crime. And then what? And then drove to the store to get burritos and chocolate milk. Well, I, I don't but, know. But dude. how did they end up the mountain? I don't know. Yeah, it's fucking crazy, dude. And why get out? The, why leave the comfort of a car? There, did you did you mention were they stuck? I mean, it's not like they couldn't get unstuck. That's yeah, the yeah, the car got stuck in a snowdrift. But you know how they use like so your car is stuck in a snowdrift, so you so you walk twenty miles. That yeah, that doesn't make any unless they thought that maybe they were walking twenty miles. Like oh, if we walk twenty miles down to the service station. But they were going in the wrong direction. God, this is really not. Ugh. Yeah. And, you know, like they, they bad people use women and children as like, like bait to like, you know, ensnare and rob. And also, I mean, they could. I mean, that, that, yeah. This is a stretch on that one. But yeah. And also, like they could. Obviously, they didn't have anything too much of value, and and someone might not have known that. You know what I mean? And just, I don't think it would have know. taken very long to find, like, realize that these guys were like. But the car, the car is the thing that's worth something, and it's not just in seventy eight. It's just that everyone has cars like that. But I mean, it's still a car. It's a car, but Jesus Christ! Yeah. So, Gary's stepfather said. Quote, I can't understand why Gary would have been that scared. Quote, even a fire, all those paperbacks, and they didn't even build a lousy fire. I can't understand why they didn't do that unless they were afraid. I mean, there is also the possibility that Gary wasn't in the cabin for that long. He could have been like, man, fuck all y'all. I'm going. He could have taken off pretty quickly. Unless there is the frostbitten feet is some kind of indication of him staying in the cabin for a while yeah i don't know no one can imagine what they were afraid of not the investigators no one and no one can prove if there was foul play or if there wasn't and to this day gary matthias has never been found alive or dead right i don't know like i think i don't know why they went up there the idea of 
like you said a siren that really creeps me out but um i don't know where this red pickup truck comes into play uh this chick with the baby how far away was the guy that was having the heart attack how far away was he from the cabin like my he would have been 20 miles because he was right by the car oh i see what you mean okay okay but one thing that seems pretty obvious is that when the three of them reach the trailer, you know, it's or Gary. If it's the Gary, three of them reach the trailer, but yeah. Well, it's Gary, Ted, and Jack. Uh-huh. They open, they hang Two out. Army vets, yeah. They hang out for a little while, eat eat the those rations with the, that can opener, mm-hmm. and then fucking bounce, you know? They take off. Uh, fucking Gary takes Ted's shoes and they bounce, and they fucking leave. I am. I assume. But do they leave was, thirteen weeks later or like no, two days? No, I don't later? think so. Because they they only use twelve things of food. God, that's so crazy. I think that they bounced early and just left Ted there, and he couldn't open the fucking the cans of food. He probably starved. The, I don't know. The, like the, how the, the idea of starving with food all around you. And freezing no, yeah. with fuel all around you. That is like terrifying. It's, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Do you think. So do you think he's a bad Gary? His. I mean, he's got a history. His history before all this went down would make me say, yes, definitely not a good Gary. But do you think that he actually would have. I guess I don't know if I want to say the power or what. Like, do you think he led them on this wild goose chase up a mountain and maybe potentially led them all to their deaths? I would say so if he wasn't on his meds, but he was doing really well on his meds yeah. from what I read. Maybe maybe he wasn't doing as well as people thought he was. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's definitely possible. That he could have gone, you know, took his friends up there. I don't know. And what, had a psychotic break. Yeah. I don't know what the fuck happened. Yeah. It is definitely. It's, it's, it's mysterious as fuck. Yeah. And, and the thing with this case is that, you know, there's a lot of mysterious cases out there, like the Delphi case. Um, there, there's just so many, um, you know, like that, obviously, like John Bonet, like these cases that haunt us. But the thing is, with all the, the cases that haunt us, there maybe is an end in sight for for this case. I don't think there is. I don't think we're ever going to have an answer. I think that Zodiac and this there are just certain cases. Black Dahlia. There's just there's just not DB Cooper. Yeah, there's just not the ending that we're ever going to want. You know what I mean? Because it's it's one the case is super duper fucking old, and two it's just too convoluted. Like there's just you know there's just it's just such a i'm sorry folks we gave you an unsatisfying ending but like you know now you can be up at night thinking about you know think about the placement of the bodies think yeah. about the circumstances think about the witnesses and you know tell us what you think we pass our blue balls on to you <laughs> you're welcome so you can join our true crime dumpster facebook group if you really want to, I think you should. We've gotten a lot of new followers. We've yeah, like- and welcome to the dumpster, guys. It's fucking awesome. Follow us on Twitter at TC Dumpster and on Instagram at True Crime Dumpster. You can email us at truecrimedumpster at gmail.com. Listen to our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, Spotify, and YouTube. And there's many other platforms. 
Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends about our podcast. Every review, rating, and referral helps us to get a larger audience. Tune in next time as we continue talking out the trash. Bye-bye. Bye now. <laughs>